the reason we've been able to survive as a community is because we have used our ability to make good decisions based on our thought processes, right? We've had prayer, we've had help for our ancestors, we've used our intuitiveness, which as creator gives us that sense of feeling in our gut. And all of those things, including conversation with each other, has to be part of the decision-making process about what's safest for us. That's the best way to sort of make these kinds of decisions in these life or death matters. Welcome to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. I'm your host, Leah Lem. And I'm your other host, Cole Primo. Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine, is a show centered around Native folks telling their stories, sharing their gifts, and how they realize those gifts. We've spoken with many amazing guests and will continue to do so, and we hear how these awesome individuals use their gifts to contribute to their community. That, and of course, a lot more. It's truly inspiring stuff, and I love that I'm involved. What I also love about the show is that it's not only evergreen, meaning the stories remain fresh over time, but it's also flexible enough to address current events like the show we're doing today. The COVID-19 vaccine is out. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And we're going to be exploring vaccines for a few weeks here. Um, So we're doing a special edition of Native Lights called Visiting Vaccines, where we're getting a pulse on Indian country in Minnesota and the response to COVID vaccines from citizens to experts, concerns to excitement, basically what's going through folks' minds. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's an extremely important topic right now as it's all getting rolled out. Um, You know, people today, uh, you know, this is just the beginning of the year. People today have just started getting their second dose of their initial vaccine. So, it's, it's rolling along, for sure. <laughs> yeah, and there's so much information, just like the different types of vaccines, what new vaccines yeah. are coming out. Uh, of course, you know, there are a lot of concerns, and at the same time, this deep desire to help protect our community, and with so many things, there's a right way and a wrong way, a good way mm-hmm. or a less good way to move <laughs> forward. And so that, you know, in our communities, there's Definitely. trauma and health disparities and health justice needs uh, and mistrust, you know, and all of these things put together creates this conflict, you know, um, in each of us and our communities to just, uh, you know, like, mm-hmm. should we get it? Should we get the vaccine? Should we not? So we're going into this subject with those topics in mind. Yeah. And today we kick off the series of vaccine conversations, and we'll be talking about the work on the front lines of administering vaccines, getting information out to patients about the vaccines and addressing legitimate concerns and preparation and getting the vaccines out to those who need it and who want it in a way that works for the community, focusing on conversation, knowledge, and of course, consent. Elia, how are you? Hey, how's it going? Yay. I'm here in person all the Dr. Anthony Stately is Ojibwe and Oneida. He's a father and the CEO of the Native American Community Clinic in South Minneapolis. Anthony Stately has his PhD in clinical psychology, so he's not a medical doc. He does, though, have a long history of working to get health services to Native communities. And I, I remember we talked to Dr. Anthony Stately 
on our Native Lights Badapi show as uh, the pandemic began, you know, as the clinic was shifting to virtual care. Uh, of course, a lot has happened since and a lot has happened to him personally, too. He has survived COVID and shares his own story about having COVID and being hospitalized and making his way through with prayer and medicines and the help of others. And now he's working right in the mix of getting vaccines to the community in the urban area there in South Minneapolis and continues his work to make sure the people he and his amazing clinic and staff help stay healthy are best served now that vaccines for the virus are being made available. So I'm really happy to share his words today. Anthony and I recorded this a little bit ago, and he was like, say hi to Cole. Yo, what's up, Anthony? (laughs) And it was really great to talk to him. He takes such a balanced approach to getting the vaccine out into the community. They serve by sharing information and being understanding to the feelings of staff and patients. Helping people to kind of understand how vaccines work and how that process is really helpful because um, the average sort of citizen doesn't understand some of that stuff sometimes, right? But if you don't take any vaccine, you have 0% chance of protection other than what you would do behaviorally, right? Don a mask, socially distance, all those other things. Um, Isolate in your house for, you know, 11 months or more versus, you know, taking a vaccine and sort of like having a fairly reasonable expectation that, you know, 90 to 95% chance that you'll be okay. Those are good odds, right? Sovereignty and self-determination and all those other things. And that applies to healthcare as well. If people do not want to take the vaccine, we won't force them to. Um, I'm I'm a believer of like, you give people good information and you explain things that are confusing to them and you help them make the best decisions for them. The Native American Community Clinic, or NAC, honors health and tradition. So there's that driving force behind their work, Uh, Health and tradition are wide and deep topics, so a lot of thought and care goes into that. And when we're talking about health in Native communities in general, there's no doubt that there are high rates of comorbidities like type 2 diabetes, cancer, obesity, you know, all these things we hear over and over again, which according to the CDC, put people at higher risk of severe illness from COVID-19 and combined with the issues of healthcare access and this history uh, and continued racism experienced while getting healthcare, it doesn't paint a great picture. But there are places like NAC that are working for the benefit of Native folks in particular. Yeah, and uh, I was looking into the uh, figures uh, recently, and uh, like according to the latest you know, stats from the Minnesota Health Department, there have been about 4,000 COVID cases uh, discovered amongst uh, Native Americans and Alaska Natives in Minnesota so far and uh, just over 70 documented deaths of Native people in the state. Now, that that has to be tagged with the fact that it's just preliminary data so far, and there are deaths with people listed as multiple races. But uh, even so, the figures show that Natives have higher risk of fatal outcomes when compared to other races and ethnicities. So, And and as for vaccines administered, uh, tribal health sites have administered roughly 1,300 doses so far. So uh, clearly, we still got a ways to go, you know, in all health care systems. Yeah. So it's great that there are places like NAC promoting health and wellness. They have this on their website. They promote health and wellness of mind, body, and spirit of Native American families, which now includes making sure people have access to the vaccine. We've been given the ability to 
justify and sort of create our own methodology for who we want to vaccinate in our communities based on the risk that we see happening in our communities. But upstream, we had been having conversation in the clinic about, you know, what was our philosophical approach to um, the vaccination? Um, how are we going to manage um, and sort of like help our community make good decisions because um, folks were all over the map in terms of whether they were going to take it or not. Uh, and that was even true for some of our staff within our clinic. So NAC decided to get a sense of how staff were feeling about getting the vaccine. We took a poll of all of our staff and said, hey, if you were offered the vaccine next week, would you be likely to take it? You know, a five-point Likert scale. Absolutely yes to definitely not, right? Our, our staff, I think, in some ways mimicked what we were seeing um, in the community and, and mimicking what we're seeing in some of the national dialogue. Like, well, I don't trust how rapidly it was developed. Um, you know, the best comment we got, which is probably from a Native person in the clinic, was like, um, I'll take the vaccine when the government stops lying to us. I was like, well, that when is that going to happen? <laughs> right? <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's a legitimate concern. What do you think, Cole? Yeah, when you look into the medical distrust that happens uh, with the Native community, it's very shocking and it's also very understandable because when you hear of the reports of like involuntary sterilization of Native women, there is like a diabetes study done with an Arizona tribe that like used more of the more of the blood sample data than they were intending to use or said that they would use to the tribe. They basically, you know, uh, used it on studies for schizophrenia and ethnic migration and other unrelated things without so telling lying. them. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that, you know, that stuff like that, there's other examples like Alaska natives being given radioactive iodine in U.S. military testing in the 1950s. So, I mean, you can find these. Um, but there are many examples of this trust in healthcare and medical systems, you know, being fractured, if not broken for many native people and tribes. Um, that being said, uh, more recently, there were, you know, about 400, peop- 400 native people involved in the Pfizer vaccine trial. So I guess there are some, you know, positive signs that there's some trust building in some areas. Yeah, so it's really helpful, again, to have somebody like Anthony Stately and Native professionals, Native doctors being involved in this Mm -hmm. whole process. Um, But it's really clear that open and honest conversations need to be had, especially about a new vaccine. We saw within our clinic that there was a good wide spectrum of like sort of intrepidness and, and ambivalence about the vaccine, even among our staff. So we had to have some discussion about whether or not we were going to, you know, um, make it compulsory for, for or mandatory for staff to take the vaccine, right? Like other health systems across the nation, we were going to vaccinate our frontline staff first, the people that are working with patients, right? But we had an internal discussion as a leadership team about, um, you know, where we landed on that. And we decided like philosophically, I know there are other health systems that have made other decisions, right? Like you must take this, it's requirement for your job. You take other vaccines to be a healthcare provider, like a flu vaccine or this vaccine or, you know. We decided that we were not gonna compel staff to do it or, or make it mandatory. We were gonna let staff make their decisions that they felt were right for themselves and for their families and and where they sort of rested with their, 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 their sense of being at peace with that decision. Our approach to the community will be much the same. We will 
let people know that, you know, our first bandwidth that we're going to be rolling out, it's going to be elders 65 and older over because they're um, quite vulnerable, right? And so um, we'll notify the patients that are registered in the, in the clinic um, that are available and, and are that fit with that criteria and we'll notify them and let them know that they can come in and get the vaccine if they like and we can schedule an appointment. So NAC has their plan in place and has started giving out the vaccine and they even have a site close by, but not in the clinic itself that is set up just for giving the vaccines. Dr. Stately says they can't give the vaccine to those not yet 18. The Moderna vaccine isn't approved yet for that age group. Um, and the Moderna vaccine is the one that they have there at NAC. Gotcha. Yeah, the uh, Pfizer vaccine, which was approved first, uh, is available for those 16 years and older. Yeah, and you know, there are all these regulations around getting the vaccine. Uh, one that uh, Dr. Stately points out is that if you've been cleared of a COVID diagnosis in the past 90 days, like he has, you got to wait till those 90 days have passed before you can get the vaccine. Folks 55 to 65 um, who are considered to be elders, but um, we'll be vaccinating those individuals who have some chronic conditions that place the medics at heightened risk for, for contracting COVID-19 and getting sick and possibly ending up in the ICU. So we have this whole process that we're going to do. Yes, that's right. I, I did recently see uh, that NAC posted this, this uh, these pictures on social media of like a short ceremony and those getting the first vaccines uh, in late December. I, I think some of the pictures so, show uh, Clyde Bellacourt, one of the co-founders of the American Indian Movement, getting the vaccine. Definitely looked like an epic time. Yep, he was pictured there. So yeah. even though yeah. the people were wearing masks, you can tell most of them are actually smiling. You know, you can tell by their eyes. And uh, me personally, yeah. I usually don't smile when I get a shot, but I can imagine I might this time. You're listening to a special edition of Native Lights Visiting Vaccines. Native Lights Where Indigenous Voices Shine is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Today we're hearing from Dr. Anthony Stately, the CEO of NAC in South Minneapolis. That's a Native American community clinic. So we were talking about how to approach getting the vaccine out into the community. And Anthony Stately reflects on an experience in boarding school that he does not want to repeat. I had a memory when I was in boarding school of like getting uh, some type of vaccine and we all just laid on our beds and the nurse came through and like gave us a shot. Like, you know, she just like lockstep, not even a, a, a consenting process in that, in that regard. So this is going to be much different. What we're going to have to do with patients is help them to begin, help them understand like what they're consenting to, um, read some paperwork to them, give them you know, an overview of potential side effects and those kinds of things. Anthony's experience there in boarding school is such a reminder and an example of that need for consent and knowledge of what's going on. Yeah, it's that, that direct experience that he's, you know, giving us of why medical distrust can happen. Yeah, when I feel like something's being done to me, you know, that's not cool. Mm. So that's really understandable, you know, to want to make sure that consent is a priority. And there are lots of ways to feel less than empowered in a situation like that. You know, we have some of the worst healthcare in the entire country, African Americans and Native Americans. So within the context of a worldwide pandemic, when it when it does hit 
hit the United States. Of course, the people who have the worst health, the most pre-existing conditions, the least access to healthcare, and all those sort of things, that they are going to be most negatively impacted in the, you know, in the entire system. What we, what we know is that black and brown people die faster from COVID-19 when they do get sick. And that's true of Native Americans in Minnesota. It's true of Native Americans all across the country. So what I try to tell folks is that, you know, the fact that we've been able to successfully advocate for Native people and people of color getting faster for some communities, specifically ours, um, is, an, is a testament to how well we've been able to use the data that's out there to, to say, you know, this is about a social justice issue, a racial justice issue, and this is about fairness and health equity. And there's a big concern out there that Native communities are being used as guinea pigs or something similar, like maybe the vaccines aren't fully safe and we're just being tested. So that's a valid concern. Uh, Cole, you mm-hmm. talked about some of the history there with distrust. So that's definitely legitimate. Yeah. And Antony does address that concern. Like, I think a common thing I've heard is um, I'm not going to take the vaccine because, um, you know, they're prioritizing um, Native communities and Black communities because they don't have enough information about how safe it is. So they're going to test on us, right? They're going to give us the vaccine and see if it, like, you know, you know, harms a certain number of us first before they decide if other folks are going to have it or not. And I was just having a conversation with somebody about this the other day. I was like, well, given our history with the United States government and, you know, all the planned sort of stuff that happened to us and, you know, and Black people, Tuskegee and the IHS experiments or the, it wasn't IHS, it was public health service experiments on and the sterilization of Native women. All those things are true, right? So we have a good healthy dose of like mistrust, like, hmm, right? And that makes sense. But Here's where we also sort of have to use both logic and common sense. So they wouldn't roll out millions of vaccines. And I said this to my friend, a relative, I said, they wouldn't roll out millions of vaccines and, and start to um, vaccinate the entire health system in the country if they didn't have some level of measure that it was going to be safe to do that. Because it wouldn't make sense to do that. Because if you decimate your entire health system, then there's nothing to respond to the pandemic, right? Anthony Staley also talked about partnering with others, with other organizations, and hosting a town hall in the spirit of understanding, to get information to the community, to dispel myths, to show that places like NAC have been and are advocating for vaccine access, and basically having a community conversation about the vaccine. Though Antony does understand the decision to not take the vaccine, he thinks about it this way. If you don't want to take the vaccine, you would probably want to diligently and stringently follow those guidelines that both the state health department has sort of issued for how to prevent yourself from either transmitting or acquiring COVID-19. And I would think that the, the biggest challenge would be maybe like, you know, in a family system, they have all this discussion and there's a there's lots of information on the MDH website, which I, I, I know is dense. It's hard to sort of sift through all of it. Um, NAC tries to do its best to sort of help people understand that by sort of kind of giving sound bites on our website or our Facebook page at sometimes. Like you have to have this level of trust and confidence in your families of your member in your bubble that they're going to behave and conduct themselves with, you know, a measure of 
thoughtfulness and, and, and respect to all members of the household, right? Yes, absolutely. You know, if one person in the family wants to get the vaccine and another person doesn't, it, there are still risks there. So it's almost like the whole family needs to be involved in this decision-making. Yeah, and that, um, that's a good approach because it's easy for someone who, you know, is just a single family or single person, uh, you know, just avoiding people. But if you're if you got a whole family, I mean, it's a whole different dis- situation. So he's really helping in getting this information out there along with the partners of NAC. Uh, and people can do with the information as they see fit what's best for them and their families. And that, of course, includes all relatives, including those who are unhoused and unsheltered, which has its own significant challenges. So we'll continue to work with those partners to try and get the vaccine available to them and vaccinate as many other individuals that want to be vaccinated, right? There will be a challenge, I think, in being able to do what we used to do a couple of years ago where we had did, delivered street medicine, where we, we brought some healthcare services to the encampment because trying to get them to come to the clinic has been challenging at most. At the Wall of Forgotten Natives, one of the things we learned is that, you know, if you're a homeless individual and every single thing that you in, um, um, have that you value in your life can fit in one suitcase or a couple of backpacks and in a tent, you're less likely to um, leave that material at a, at a camp and go get healthcare if you're afraid that someone's going to take off with your stuff, right? And so what we'll try to do is we'll try to figure out how do we make them feel safe? How do we make them feel confident that they're going to be okay? Um, can we deliver the services to the encampment or... Um, can we have people wait with their stuff while they come to the clinic and get the vaccine? Like, we'll try to figure those things out and we'll work with our community partners to do that so that people can feel safe and confident and they can get the things that they need. But we make those investments because we, we realize that preserving the health and well-being of human beings, whether they're homeless and living on the street or whether they're you know, living in the White House, they're a relative and they deserve compassion and love. You're listening to a special edition of Native Lights, Visiting Vaccines. Native Lights, Where Indigenous Voices Shine, is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. And today we're hearing from Anthony Stately, the CEO of the Native American Community Clinic in South Minneapolis. And they're working to get the coronavirus vaccine out into the community they serve. So we're switching gears here a little bit and we're going to hear from Anthony and his story with getting COVID. Anthony's story starts with his son who started getting sick in early, mid-November. Anthony and his partner have 13-year-old twin boys. The whole household ended up getting sick, but Anthony had the most severe illness. We thought it was just like a cold. And then he woke up the next day and he had a tickle in his throat and he goes, my throat kind of hurts. And I was like, hmm. So the next day, which was Monday, they tested him for strep. And Anthony also started to feel the onset of what felt like a cold. He was negative for strep and the, the provider was like, well, I want to test him for COVID since he's here. And Anthony, at the same time, got tested for COVID, but he tested negative with the rapid test. His son, however, tested positive. I was like, oh, man, that was so that was so hard to get the news, right? And he was scared. He cried all the way home. He's like, and I said, you know, am I going to die? All these other things. So I had to like, you know, 
basically just to kind of help them emotionally get through it, right? Though young folks are less likely to experience bad outcomes, it's still pretty scary. And they had to worry, of course, about transmission to the rest of the family. Antony said they masked up indoors. Antony would deliver food to where his son was isolating. Just a totally different way of living for them. He had mild symptoms for several days, he was achy, but he also kept track of his oxygen levels at home, which were doing fine until the morning of November 23rd. His oxygen levels had dropped, and he was also starting to feel really, really rotten. I also kind of noticed my body over the course of the day. I was getting tired. It was I was getting winded just doing things like going up the stairs, you know. I continued to behave and act as though nothing was going on, like a typical parent, like, oh, I'll still do the laundry, you know, I'll still do the dishes and let me get them their food, you know, those kinds of things. So, but as the day went on, I noticed like my body was having more difficulty sort of doing the things that I did and I was getting winded. And then I was taking my oxygen levels and they never got above 91 or 92. And I happened to work with a healthcare provider, a chief, my chief medical officer. When I first told her I tested positive, she was like, watch your ox levels because you have pre-existing conditions. Her advice was like, if it falls before 92 or 91, go to the hospital. So folks like me who have things like HIV, long-term HIV, uncontrolled diabetes, or um, lupus or other kinds of autoimmune system issues, like you, you... If you change rapidly, which mine was rapid, mine was like overnight. I went from being just fine to being, you know, really having difficulty breathing. I felt by the end of the day, like there was an elephant sitting on my chest. And I just, you know, it just was really hard. Like, so I was like, "Eh." so then I was like, I should go to the hospital. Right. And um, so we had to have a conversation as a family about what that meant. And and it was really hard for me because I didn't know, you know, I, I, I kissed my sons and I hugged them. And at that point in time, like you're making that decision and you're like, lots of people are going into the hospital and they're not coming out. Anthony was admitted to the hospital right away and was on oxygen for about four to five days. And the first three days were probably the hardest. They were the hardest for me physically, but also the hardest for me emotionally and spiritually. I was like really scared, right? Some of the hardest things in the first few days was like laying in the hospital bed and hearing, you know, because I was on the COVID ward. So there are lots of other patients that were in the same condition, right? Like the first night I was there, I could hear this woman, like I could hear her voice coming through the vents, crying, you know, um, at night. And some, the first night it kept me up almost the entire night. Anthony realized he needed some things from home. When he left for the hospital, he didn't really plan ahead, so he called his sister and asked for a few things, like clothes and other items. Can you bring me a smudge bowl and some cedar and sage and tobacco, some sweet grass, um, the four sacred medicines? I know I can't burn them in the, in, in the hospital, but I can still hold them and pray with them. And she did that, and she brought me a nice fluffy pillow because the hospital has horrible pillows. Um, and then that second night I was there, um, a couple of my elders called me and we talked and I reached out to a couple of people and talked to them because I was scared, you know. One elder said, hold that smudge bowl in your lap and say some prayers, um, ask for help, ask for protection. Another elder told me, speak directly to that spirit of COVID because 
all things have a spirit. Tell that, tell that spirit of COVID that, you know, it visited you for a reason. Have a conversation with it. You know, um, the second full night I was there, I was like laying in bed and scared and I heard another person crying and, you know, saying, oh, no, 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 over and over. And, you know, I want to go home and those kinds of things, you know, and I thought, I, my first intention was to, I grabbed a smudge bowl that I, to pray for them because I, like they, you know, they sounded like they needed um, support, right? And I was thinking in my head, I was like, you know, do they not have loved ones that can reach out to them? They can't see their loved ones and whatever. So I grabbed the bowl and I said a prayer for them, you know, ask creator to like, you know, pity them and be compassionate with them and help um, calm them, make them feel safe. And then I was like, well, I don't feel safe. And so I said a prayer and my prayer was really clear. I, I, I talked to the spirit of COVID and I said, there's a reason you came to my family and the reason you visited me. And I said, I think I understand what the reason is. And I think I'm understanding more richly in a different way, what this means for me and my family and my, my community. I think I'm getting the lesson here. But I want you to know that, like, um, I'm ready for you to move on. So I'm going to ask you to move on and kind of thank the spirit of COVID for showing up and giving me this opportunity to learn some personal and professional lessons, but mostly the personal lesson, understanding the value of life, right? And not taking for granted any moment that you are able to draw a breath and not taking for granted any of the relationships you have in your life. And then I said, a really simple prayer to the creator actually wasn't like all that complicated. I said, creator, I'm not ready to leave. I have sons I have to raise and I have so many people who I love, who I know love me and who are not ready to say goodbye to me and I'm not ready to say goodbye to them. And I definitely know that I feel like I still have a lot that I can contribute to the work that needs to be done in my community. And that's really important to me. I have so much left that I need to complete. So I have to stay, I wanna stay. And I said, please let me stay, right? And that, that was the prayer. And that was like this, the night of the second day and the, sec, the third day, things were getting a little bit better. And then, you know, pretty much from that point forward, on the fourth, fifth day, the doctor was coming in and saying, well, you're looking good. You're responding really well to the experimental drugs we're giving you. And um, if things look this good next week, you can get out of here. And good news, of course, uh, Anthony's family is now all recovered. That's great. As you can hear, we as Native people and, you know, anybody, we can utilize uh, different ways of being healthy and resources uh, in tandem. Like we don't have to just pick and choose one way or another. uh, And we can care for our communities and care for ourselves by using what's available. I recently, uh, you know, worked with Anthony just to talk about their integration of spiritual Know, care into and uh, you know traditional medicine care into their health care. So it's great to see that that's you know continuing. And- yeah, 
And just to highlight, uh, Anthony did talk about finding out that he had or has type 2 diabetes. Like, he didn't know before his hospital stay, which is another risk. Mm -hmm. And it just goes to show how important preventative care is uh, and overall health and continuing your care during the pandemic. Even if it's not COVID, uh, it's still good to make sure you're healthy. So here's Anthony one more time summarizing the importance of the collective community response to the pandemic and acknowledging all our perspectives. It's why our ancestors and the creator gave us the ability to do that, to use those four sacred medicines, to call on him, to call on our ancestors, the people who have left and are on the other side, to support us through all of these challenges. And that's as important as any vaccine And that's as important as anything else that we do. So I remind people that, you know, that those medicines are available to us as well. And the best way to sort of confront something like this is to use all of our available resources to combat it and to defeat it. If I were to be completely honest, that's what I would tell families to do. I would tell, you know, the people in our community to, you you, you, I think about like, how would our, ancestors have managed like all of these things you think back to like throughout history 500 plus years of sort of threats of this nature kind of into coming into our homes and into our families our chiyoshis our family systems those kinds of things we've all we've, we've had it for a really long time the reason we've been able to survive as a community is because we have used our ability to make good decisions based on our thought processes, right? We've, we've had prayer. We've had help for our ancestors. We've used our intuitiveness, which is creator gives us, you know, that, that sense of feeling in our gut. And all of those things, including conversation with each other, has to be part of the decision-making process about what's safest for us in terms of our families and in terms of our community. That's the best way to sort of make these kinds of decisions in these life or death matters. Thank you, Anthony Stately, for sharing with us uh, the importance of knowledge sharing, um, having those conversations, and if we recall from a bit earlier, consent in the process of getting the vaccine. Uh, It's great science. Um, I look forward to getting the vaccine myself, but there are legitimate concerns and, you know, Uh, conversations to have to reach a conclusion for each and every person out there. Definitely. I'm I'm so glad we had Anthony Stately, you know, on, uh, I mean, he's just a, a, you know, a great example of not only, uh, you know, native in the healthcare industry, healthcare system working to, you know, better the community, but he, you know, he has had these direct, this direct experience with the virus and, you know, direct experience with medical distrust happening directly to him um so uh, and just you know conversation consent is it's so important so chimi guage to dr anthony stately for being on the episode today Anthony Stately is the CEO of the Native American Community Clinic in South Minneapolis and working to get the coronavirus vaccine out into the community they serve. For more information about the COVID-19 vaccine rollout, check out the Minnesota Department of Health website, and there's a lot of good information there. And the NAC website, the Native American Community Clinic, is 
nacc-healthcare.org. And in the coming weeks, we'll continue our in-depth look at Indian country in Minnesota and the response to COVID vaccines. Definitely. We got a lot to unpack over the, you know, the coming weeks, and I can't wait to do it. Um, and I'm Cole Primo. And I'm Leah Lem. Chimigwech for listening. Gigawabamin. Gigawabamin. Native Lights Where Indigenous Voices Shine is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.